Welcome to the Fantasy Football Predictive Analytics with Reese Tiefertiller. Welcome to another Fantasy Football Predictive Analytics podcast with Reese Tiefertiller, Adam Harstad. Uh, Adam, how goes it? Uh, it goes good. It's always going pretty good over here. Oh, yeah. I was thinking it was a year ago we had deep dish pizza with you in Chicago right inside. Uh, it was outdoor cover and it was pouring down raining outside. Mm-hmm. Lou Malnati's. Oh, yeah. Really good. Yeah, it was. So probably the biggest storyline headed, heading into this podcast has been all the Watson uh, drama and rumors going around the past roughly 24 or 36 hours. What is your opinion? Will Watson get traded? Where's Tua going to land if they uh, Dolphins do trade for Watson? How do you see that playing out? Well, so I always like to say there's kind of two approaches to, to fantasy football uh, dynasty, but fantasy football in general. And there's like the team pro- projections approach. Um, and the projections approach, it's been very, very successful in the fantasy space. I think most of the top um, fantasy sites, fantasy minds, fantasy rankers use projections. And, and basically what you're doing is you're saying, you know, I'm going to break down everything I know, and I'm going to try and predict exactly what's going to happen. Right. I think that, you know, Atlanta is going to throw the ball. Uh, I think they're going to run 987 plays and they're going to throw the ball on 62% of them. And I think that Calvin Ridley is going to get, you know, 28% target share and I think he's going to average 8.7 depth of target you know and you're, you're trying to predict all of the little minutia and I'm not here to knock that because it's really been the dominant approach in fantasy football I think a lot of the most successful people have been doing it for a long time football guys was really the house that projections built because the entire concept of VBD relies on having those super precise projections uh, my big problem with it is it's a lot of work Um, And I don't really like doing a lot of work. I I will take whatever shortcut I can. So I like to say that I'm, I'm not on team projections. I'm on team heuristics and heuristic. um, It's a, it comes from the Greek. It's a very fancy word, basically that just means rule of thumb. Um, And so um, heuristics get kind of a bad rap, but um, there's been studies on in a lot of cases, especially in very, very uncertain environments, heuristics can actually outperform these super tightly calibrated projection models. Um, and an example of a simple rule of thumb, I always say in, in Dynasty, I call this the Dr. Ian Malcolm hypothesis, that um, a good player, if, if a player is good, he's going to produce, right? I call it the Ian Malcolm hypothesis because like in Jurassic Park, life finds a way. You know, if um, CeeDee Lamb gets drafted into Dallas and somebody from the team projection side might say, well, I think CeeDee Lamb is good, but you know, I'm breaking this down and Amari Cooper's there and Michael Gallup's there and they're talking about this tight end, Blake Jarwin, and you know, there's only so many balls to go around and I'm running the numbers and I can't really find a way to get these stats to CeeDee Lamb. I, I just, I don't see how he gets there. From a team heuristic standpoint, I get to just wave all that aside and say, life finds a way. If CeeDee Lamb's good, he's going to get his. And they'll say, well, how's that going to happen? And I get to say, I don't know, magic. That's the cool thing about about heuristics is I get to be super lazy about it. 
Um, and it's not to say that it's easy because then you have to have hard questions about is CD Lamb good? You know, what does it look like if he's good? You know, how do you know that he's good? There's there's still hard questions to be resolved, but I basically get to wash my hands and absolve myself of all of the nitty gritty. What exactly is going to happen? Why is it going to happen? And so, you know, people will say, where's Tua going to land? How is he going to do there? Where's Deshaun Watson going to land? And I get to say, I, and I gleefully get to say, I don't really know. You know, I think that stuff like this tends to work itself out, you know, the NFL wants good players to play and we can discuss whether that's good or bad. I think that's kind of a different topic altogether. Um, but I think the NFL, I think the ideal NFL scenario for the NFL would be Deshaun Watson on the field and all of the discussions surrounding him to just magically disappear. And I don't think discussions surrounding him is going to magically disappear, nor do I think it should. Uh, but I think in the NFL's preferred world, that's what would happen. And if there's a path from here to there, the NFL is probably going to try and take it. Uh, I don't, I don't know what chances are that we see Watson on the field this year. I think there's a realistic chance we see Watson on the field this year, probably not for Houston, but um, there's an awful lot of smoke here. He could very well wind up starting games for Miami this year. That wouldn't really surprise me at all. Um, but I don't really know what the path from where we are today to there looks like. I don't know how we get there. But I do think that that's, that's a possible place we could find ourselves. So one, two things. So I get what you're saying about C.D. Lamb. Cream always rises. If they're good, it happens, right? We don't have to figure out how the path that it happens. We just, it'll happen. So we know that Watson's good. I mean, For I sure. think anybody that's watched him says, you know, he's top five, top six quarterback in the NFL. But how about Tua? Is Tua in that cream rises or is he in the sediment that goes down, sediment that goes to the bottom of the cup? It's kind of Schrodinger's quarterback. You know, he's, he's both yeah. good and not good until observation collapses him onto one path or the other. Yeah. Um, and that's kind of how I treat prospects when I don't know anything about them. Um, there's some people who will grind the tape and they'll they'll form opinions on prospects i i largely anchor to draft position um i i basically i cheat off the nfl's homework yep. so i see Tua and i see a guy drafted fifth overall and i look at guys like that and i say yeah there's about a probably about a 40 percent hit rate you know if he does hit the odds of him hitting like supernova like getting to patrick mahomes to sean watson level you know maybe like it's a 20 percent from there um, and so I'm running the odds and then as to a place, I can update that. I, so that's in terms of Bayesian inference, that's called my prior. That's, that's right. my starting belief. And then as new evidence comes in, I update my prior. I update my starting belief based on how strong that starting belief was and how strong the new evidence is. So for instance, my belief, Patrick Mahomes is a very, very good quarterback. That's a very, very strong belief. That's based on a lot of evidence. Okay. If he goes out and has a bad game, I'm not going to think less of Patrick Mahomes. Strong belief, weak evidence. Someone like Tua, if he goes out and has a monster game, that's going to dramatically raise my opinion of him because my belief is so weak. Um, right now, based on what I've seen, his play on the field hasn't really resolved anything for me. I don't think he's looked especially good. I don't think he's looked especially bad. Uh, the fact that Miami seems to be flirting with so many different quarterbacks is concerning to me uh, because if they thought he was the long-term answer and 
you know, like Jeff was saying about, about Deshaun Watson, we know he's good in terms of play on the field, one of the top five, top six quarterbacks. And I get, even if Miami thinks that Tua is pretty decent, you can still be tempted by those top five, top six guys because they're so hard to come by. But still, it's got to be a strike against um, Tua. You know, Chicago's not really inquiring after <laughs> Deshaun Watson right now, right? San Francisco's not really looking after Deshaun Watson right now. So it's got to be a little bit concerning that Miami is. Yes. For me, the more telling thing about Tua it's right after all those reports of that Miami might be trained for Watson. Texans, no, we don't, we're not interested in Tua. Broncos, we're yeah. not interested in Tua. Washington, we're not interested in Tua. You're talking about cheating off the NFL's homework on right. Draft. Right. I, we're cheating off the NFL's homework for that too. And they don't believe sure. in Tua's success, at least outwardly. Sure. At yeah. least outwardly, right? I mean, right. there's a lot of smoke and a lot of baloney that's thrown around in the NFL posturing maybe they're trying to drive the price down sure yeah but yes it's not like you know when when jay cutler was suddenly on the block in denver because he didn't get along with um uh with um mcdaniels and then it, it became known that he wants out you know teams were lining up teams wanted jay cutler right when it seems Tua might be available teams are dragging their feet and that's not really a great sign um you see it a lot in contracts too you know i cheat off the nfl homework in the draft but if you see a guy who we thought was pretty good and all of a sudden he's signing a deal that's relatively disappointing well okay i guess the nfl didn't like him quite as much as we did but then there's the patriots giving Aguilar monster money right and well, uh, so there's outliers all i meant yeah. there's outliers because right there's food that i love that's expensive and food that I love that's cheap and nobody else loves, right? I mean, it's the right. same thing. We all have our preferences and we drag it with us and sit at the table when we're in those in negotiations. Yeah, and I mean, I think, I don't think Aguilar got monster money. You know, I think he got better money than I would have expected. Um, he's, you know, he's projected pretty decently this year. I think the Patriots are planning on using him. But I, in the NFL, and especially for fantasy purposes, if you're not a star. I mean, you know, if you're not in the top, it's just, it's, it's all so top heavy yes. that like those middling guys that matter from an NFL perspective, the Nelson Aglors of the world, they just don't move the needle so much for fantasy. Yeah. And that's where preference comes in. Yeah. So you're talking about guys who don't move the needle, but they're still decent players. Two guys who are in their fifth, two quarterbacks who are in their fifth year, middle road, should their teams give them contract extensions, Sam Darnold and Baker Mayfield. Well, Sam Darnold, um, you know, no, I, <laughs> um, I'm kind of known in football guys as, as the data querier guy. Yeah. Um, Cause I've been playing with pro football references, data queriers and football guys, data queries for a long time. And a large part of my process, um, you know, generating these heuristics and these, these, um, intuitions about players comes from looking at historically comparable players. And before the season, somebody asked me to pull up the list of historical comps on Sam Darnold. Um, and so I was looking at guys through three seasons who had, you know, performed comparably to him and guys who had been below average all three seasons. And, you know, if you, if you picked through the wreckage, there were some decent comps, you know, you could find, you know, Alex Smith, um, might be a plausible career path for him. That's in the pool of comps. 
but probably 80% of them are just bad quarterbacks. Um, and then it's a question of, okay, if Darnold has a 20% chance of being Alex Smith, how valuable is that really? You know, how Alex Smith was a good quarterback. He had a good career. Um, but how valuable is a 20% shot at Alex Smith versus say like a 20% shot at Patrick Mahomes, obviously very, very valuable. Um, so I was not a huge Darnold fan coming into the year. He played really well the first couple games. Um, he's played less well the last couple games, more in line with who we thought he was. Um, he, it hasn't really moved the needle for me. I, I'm just not excited about the prospects of Sam Darnold just because he's never really been an above average quarterback and he's had a lot of, a lot of chances now and it's been a bad situation, but most good quarterbacks have managed to show it in bad situations too. So Darnold, I'm not really that excited about Mayfield. I think would be fine. I think if Darnold's a 20% chance at Alex Smith, maybe Mayfield's like a 60 or 70% chance at Alex Smith. Um, I wouldn't be opposed to paying him decent money, partly because there's just no middle class in the NFL. You know, if you are a great quarterback, you make great quarterback money. If you are a decent quarterback, you make great quarterback money. There's no decent quarterback money. You're either on a rookie deal or you're like a a journeyman vet. You're a Case Keenum type or you're making 30, 40 million a year. And the NFL would probably be a healthier place if there were for the, those middle-class NFL quarterback contracts, but there aren't. Given that that's the reality of the situation, I would be reluctantly okay with giving someone like Baker Mayfield money as long as the contract had a lot of outs and, and there was the option at any time where I could move on and, and go in a different direction um, just because – I mean, you need a quarterback. What are you going to do? I, I don't hate the idea of cutting him loose. I don't hate the idea of paying him. Um, it's, it's just a tough situation to be in. I would make it a short deal because there's no reason to get locked into him for a long time. And, but on the flip side, if you're a Browns fan, you remember that Browns quarter, the jersey with all the Browns quarterbacks on it that, you know, in the last, They've, they've cycled through two or three quarterbacks a year for the last decade, it seems. And, you know, Tim Couch and on and on. So they were having continuity. There's a plus. I just wouldn't want to be anchored to him in case he really does flop. Well, I think the short deals can be very dangerous with quarterbacks because what happens if you give him a two-year deal and it comes out next year and plays awesome, and then all of a sudden, you know, you're, you're stuck. Um, you look at, I think – Washington kind of tried to play it that way with Kirk Cousins, where they're just extending him just a little bit at a time and a little bit at a time. Um, and that came back and bit them. And then Minnesota was on the hook for that huge contract. Um, so I'd almost rather, and I don't know if he would be up for it. I don't know if his agent would be up for it, but I think the ideal there would be like a five-year deal where it's structured in a way, maybe a lot of roster bonuses instead of signing bonuses, where it's structured in a way where the team could move on from him um, without too much penalty. So it's more like a series of five one-year options or something like that, I think would be the best possible outcome for someone like Baker Mayfield. I think it's best for him. But I, I'm pretty confident Mayfield's not going to turn into Cousins. I mean, we've, we've seen a lot. And I think if I put a range of outcomes, and Adam's one of the people, Reese, that agrees with me on this, that everything's on a spectrum. 
it's not binary. And I dislike it when everybody says they, they stink or they're awesome. You know, I mean, it's on a spectrum. But I feel pretty confident that Mayfield will always be in that 15, 12 to 15, 18, you know, quarterback range. I don't so think here's he, something funny. You say you don't think he's Cousins, and I don't know if that means you don't think he's ever going to be as good as Cousins or if you don't think he's ever going to be as bad as Cousins. And I, I think don't that's think kind he'll of... be as consistent as Cousins. Okay. So Cousins, right or wrong, is, is a super consistent guy. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I don't care if you love him or hate him. 26 touchdowns, eight, eight picks, 3,700 yards. Yeah, he walks in pretty, he, his, his range of outcomes is pretty narrow when healthy. And uh, But let's also give Cousins the props that he has probably the, you know, one of the top receiving duos in the league to throw to maybe yeah. not the top, but you know, one of the top few. And so, you know, Mayfield in that offense probably won't because it's run heavy. I just meant though, I don't think he'll ever put up numbers like cousins. Yeah. He I just asked to do less. Let me it's funny that. because I think cousins is just such a cipher. I think, you know, people are like, Oh yeah. Cousins. And you don't know if like, if they think he's good or if they think, cause you'll get, you'll say something about cousins and you'll get a hundred percent of your replies will be convinced you're absolutely wrong. And 50% of them will think you're way too high on him. And the other 50% will think you're way too low on him, but everybody agrees. You're definitely wrong. Yeah. He's a better fantasy quarterback than NFL quarterback. I'll say that about cousins. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. Well, he's I, a I, top 10, top 12 fantasy quarterback. Is he though? I don't know. He he's, was last year. He was quarterback. Before. I believe he's quarterback like 12 or 13 right now. Yeah. But, and he's yeah. top like 10 game know. manager, let's be honest. Yeah. So all I'm saying, Adam, is I don't think he's that good in the NFL standards. Yeah. I'm saying he, he'll finish. If we laid out NFL quarterbacks, Cousins will rank higher in fantasy production than the NFL. Adam's looking it up to see how wrong or right I am. No, I'm just, I'm just, I'm curious. I don't know. I, I, I kind of feel like I've, gotten so tired of having opinions on Kirk Cousins and <laughs> being told I'm wrong I've, I've kind of forgotten how to have opinions on Kirk Cousins I'm trying I'm I'm, I'm, not I'm seriously interrogating myself and wondering if I have any opinions on Kirk Cousins I also I think, think Cousins benefits from the Eli Manning effect that where he's he plays... just playing 16 games yes yeah that's why when I calculate value I always do it um per game me too but when you look line up and say he's a top 12 quarterback here Tannehill it's because yeah. they play everyone. Yeah. But dad said he'd much rather have Robert Griffin III, his draft mate, <laughs> than Kirk Cousins, no. especially certain fantasy-wise. In fantasy, I mean, the the Vic and Griffin back in the heyday, mm -hmm. if we had today's fantasy scoring, those guys would set all types of numbers. I mean, Yeah, I always said about Griffin, like, he's really only doing two things. And it's deep passes and running. It's just that those two things are disproportionately valuable from a fantasy perspective. Right. Like if you had a quarterback who all he's doing is throwing deep and running, it's a monster fantasy quarterback. I was all I was all in on Griffin. Um, he was really fun as a player, but I, he was one of those where like even if he's not a very good player, I think he's going to be a really good fantasy quarterback. Um, and if he hadn't gotten hurt, he probably would have been. I mean, I don't know how long he would have held the job. Um, if he hadn't gotten hurt, I don't know how good he would have wound up being. Um, but just his style of play would have put up some numbers. But also, you have to think that they had, correct me if I'm wrong, they had Kyle Shanahan and Sean McVay on that coaching staff. 
and they yeah but what I was kyle like shanahan back in in 20 what was that 12 well, right he won uh offensive rookie of the year in 2012 so yeah that's when i'm assuming he was there i, I mean i think paying. in 2012 kyle shanahan was still you know learning the craft still yeah, yeah. Because he wasn't even offensive coordinator at that point. Was he quarterback coach or he was something like that? But I, yeah. I just if people that weren't around then and you know, watching it, he was basically Jalen Hurts is now. You know, he'll he picks up a lot of rushing yards. You may think Hurts is a great passer, but I just I just think he's a he's a better fantasy guy than he is an NFL guy. And that's what I, I thought he was really good as for a rookie. I mean, you know, I'm I'm adjusting for context and rookies are never good but he led the nfl in yards he's the only person to ever lead the nfl in yards per carry rushing and yards per attempt passing um i get that he had a simplified offensive playbook um which was smart you know like right. i don't know why that's an insult that like hey he does these things well so we had him do that things that that just seems like smart coaching to me right. um but yeah I, he he looked really good I, I thought he was going to take the step I, he, and he might've, if he hadn't gotten injured, we'll never know. Um, you know, maybe he wouldn't have, maybe he always would have turned into what he turned into, yeah. but I was, I was a big believer after his rookie year. Well, I will re- one last thing on Robert Griffin, and then, then we'll move on. He found himself a perfect backup job being Lamar's backup for a lot of years. Yeah. Although he wasn't very good, at, I oh, no. and I, I'm not a big fan of quarterback handcuffing, right. um, but I just figured in that offense with that style of play, if Griffin played, he'd put up numbers, and just even when he got on the field, he just didn't look. I don't know. Didn't have the juice. Nope. This the kid in me wants to say that's what happens when you get old and knee <laughs> surgeries. Oh, oh, oh. But, but go ahead. Yes. I think Robert Griffin III, if I recall correctly, was the first NFL player born in the 90s. Wow. I could be wrong about that. Wow. But he was, because he, I think when he came in, he was the youngest player in the NFL. And he played with some great receivers at Baylor. Right. Mm-hmm. Great college receivers, not yeah. so much NFL. Yeah. So how, this is a, I'm going to say a state uh, question that I'm going to explain it. How can we improve our fantasy football analytics and metrics? Because we know you're always in the weeds looking for the next, like, stuff to measure. There's st- are the, is there anything that we should be measuring more and putting more stock in? Or, or is there, like, anything that we need to put less stock in? Or, like, should we be measuring something completely different? Because I think we would all three agree. Metrics that we're using five years, uh, right, we're using now, we were not looking at five years ago. And the metrics we're using now will not be looked at as much in five years. Um, well, I don't know. I mean, I'm I'm pretty old school. I'm still using adjusted net yards per attempt, which has been <laughs> it's been around for a while. I get sometimes I get triggered. I'll go on Twitter, and some of the the EPA guys will be like, uh, "Oh yeah, you know, adjusted net yards per attempt that used to be such a solid stat." And I'm like, "Used, used to be." To be. Like, <laughs> I don't I don't know what you're talking about. Like. <laughs> Name another statistic that you can look at a box score from 1973 and calculate by hand, like a good quarterback statistic, you know, talk about EPA all you want. Okay, fine. Tell me Greg Cook's EPA, right? (laughs) So um, I actually just wrote a couple weeks ago about um, a, a concept called face validity 
that statisticians use. And face validity um, basically says, if you have a statistics that, that purports to measure something, um, you can look at the list it produces and you can say like, yeah, that passes the smell test. You know, that looks about right, right? Like if I gave you a statistic and I said, here's a new advanced statistic to measure running back play, here's the top 10. And the top 10 is like Devontae Booker and <laughs> Wayne Gallman. And, you know, you'd be, you'd be looking at it and you're like, this statistic smells a little funny. I don't think this statistic is doing what you think it's doing. If you think that this is measuring running back quality and it's telling me that Wayne Gallman is the sixth best running back in the NFL. <laughs> Bill James, um, the father of Saber metrics in baseball said that a good statistic will tell you 80% stuff you already knew and 20% stuff you didn't. Um, and if it's telling you more stuff that you didn't know, then odds are the statistics bad. You know, if the statistics popping up and saying Wayne Goldman is a top three running back, right? Odds are it's just a bad statistic. You've screwed something up. It's not telling you what you think it's telling you. Um, and if it's telling you everything you already knew, then it's useless statistic. You know, it's not increasing your knowledge. It's not giving you new things to look at. So I'm a big fan of face validity. Whenever I come across a new statistic, I, I like to just, I call it the leaderboard test. You just pull yeah. up the leaderboard, you take a look at it. Um, a great example of this, the NFL has its next-gen stats portal. Um, you can go to, I think it's just nextgenstats.nfl.com or something. I don't know. Um, but it'll have all of the player tracking statistics, and they're using the microchips in the players' shoulder pads and the microchips in the football. And they're saying, like, for instance, here are all of the receivers ranked by how much separation they have from the nearest defender at the time they catch a ball. And you might think, this probably is telling you who the good wide receivers are. You would think, hey, the guys who are getting more open are probably more better. That seems plausible. And you look at the list and it's like Byron Pringle and <laughs> Freddie Swain. And, you know, like it's a bunch of, it's a bunch of guys catching bubble screens. Cause when you're catching a bubble screen, there's nobody around you, right? It's a bunch of um, tight ends. It's a bunch of third options who a quarterback would never throw to unless he's like, 10 yards free of everybody else. You know, he's looking and he's like, oh, should I throw to Mecole Hardman? Nah, there's a defender six yards away from him. There's no way he's catching that, right? <laughs> and so the guys with the largest separation, there's there's a couple really good guys in there. George Kittle always does really well because his style of play lends itself to that kind of stat. Um, and also Shanahan is really good at scheming people open in space. But for the most part, this is not measuring what you think it's measuring. It plausibly seems like it could be. You look at the leaderboard and you're like, no. No, this is just not, it's not, I don't know what it's doing, but it's not doing what I want it to be doing, which is telling me who's good and who's bad. Um, but another example of something on the next gen stats portal is percentage of team air yards. So um, you think about if a quarterback throws the ball to a receiver 10 yards downfield, basically there were 10 air yards there, right? Mm -hmm. the quarterback throws a bubble screen to a receiver who's two yards behind the line of scrimmage, that receiver got negative two air yards. And you add up all of the air yards on every throw, and then you take how many air yards a receiver accounted for and divide it by the total team air yards. And basically, it's a measure of what percentage of a passing game a guy's accounting for, but it's adjusted for the depth of the passing game. Because a guy who gets like five deep shots is accounting for more of the passing game than a guy who gets six bubble screens. Um, and so if you look at the percentage of team air yards list, 
this produces a list that passes the smell test with flying colors. You know, Devontae Adams, absolutely. Terry McLaurin, absolutely. You know, there are a couple weird ones in there. Um, Cortland Sutton seems weird. And then you're like, well, who else is on the team? Terry Judy got hurt, you know a bunch of the other um, players have gotten KJ Hamler's out. Um, so Sutton's standing for the, for the moment is a little bit inflated, but by and large, it's a list of eight superstars and two guys where you're like, Hmm, that's interesting. I need to look into that more. Am I underrating this guy as a player? Are there extenuating circumstances to explain it? So this is what I like to do. I don't, there's hardcore analysis you can do to tell if a statistics good or not, but what did I say earlier? I'm, I'm incredibly lazy. I don't want to put in any more effort than I have to, not, not one ounce more. Um, so I use the leaderboard test. Somebody shows me a new statistic, says, hey, what do you think? I say, I don't know. Let me check the leaderboard. Yeah, it's a pretty good statistic. You mentioned separation. One thing that I use separation for is just how fast that team is in general. Because yeah. Tyree kills high on separation, but he's also running go routes, and he's blown by defensive backs. So yeah. that would make sense. Yeah. Well, and, and like Shanahan is really good just schematically at getting guys open in space and exploiting mismatches. And so San Francisco 49ers, basically all the guys on the team have great separation stats. Everybody's open. Well, one thing, cause I looked at separation for my book last year, top two teams were the chiefs and the 49ers. Yeah. Those two have arguably two of the top five offensive minds in the league. So yeah. they know how to get their guys open. It's almost like a coaching stat because yeah. Packers are high up there. Rams are uh, not as high up there because they just have good guys yards after the catch versus uh, other teams. But, in but general, that'd be a good example of using the leaderboard test. You know, yes. it doesn't pass the smell test for individual receivers. Look at it for a team level. Maybe exactly. it passes the smell test there. And, and if it does, well, that's interesting. Now we've got a stat that's worth looking into that's worth keeping track of. Yeah, and then you would if you're if you're saying who do I throw a dart at for the end of my bench? How about putting it on the one where the team, if these dominoes fall, my player benefits. But I want to throw out a couple of other types. I don't think we put enough weight on inside the five rushing attempts. I think we treat them. I, I don't mean you. Yeah. You did in your book, but I mean as an industry, Adam. Like we weight inside the five, like we do at the fifty. And those rushing attempts or targets should not be weighted the same. And the other one I was thinking of is the how we combine stats into other things. You know what I mean? Like, like it's a weighted type of like we use eight. A lot of people use eight dot, right? You you did it another way with your air yards. But I think that air yards or depth of target, depending on where it is in the field, may mean different things. Do you disagree? What do you mean by may mean different things? Well, if you're at the five and there's some receivers that they, like Hopkins, Hopkins gets a lot of short touchdowns, right? Right. That should be weighted differently than Tyreek Hill, who may have the same amount of yards and touchdowns. Well, I've seen... Um... Stuff like expected fantasy points, I think, is yeah. designed for this, where it's it's saying typically players who get this opportunity in this situation will score this many fantasy points. And that's naturally going to upweight things like carries inside the five. Um, and 
you know, people will even pay a lot of attention to red zone, but it's not the red zone. Uh, carries from the 17 aren't really inherently any more valuable than carries from the 52. Um, it's really once you get inside the 10 that it starts ramping up. Um, and then once, yeah, once you get inside the five that it's, you're starting to get into extremely likely to score the touchdown territory. Yes. In fact, I remember, um, believe that Scott Baird who has a weighted opportunity mm-hmm. stat and article that he runs every week over at fantasy points. And that's another reason why fa- uh, pro football reference is also super helpful on, on their, in all their uh, red zone. Cause they have inside the 20 inside the 10 and inside the five for rushing. Yeah. Plus they have um, on stat head, they've got the play finder where you can actually generate custom queries. If you want to know, you know, I use it a lot to, um, to dunk on, um, um, oh, dang, I can't, what's, this is going to bug me. Um, what team? Former Patriots and, uh, Steelers running back, uh, Le'Veon Bell's buddy. Um, I keep wanting to say Leonard Fournette, but it's not Leonard Fournette. It is. Blunt. Blunt. Thank you. Thank you. I can't believe I just uh, blanked out on LeGarrette Blunt, okay. but I uh, LeGarrette Blunt is, in my opinion, uh, the worst short yardage running back in modern NFL yes. history. Um, and it's not, I don't mean that he does the worst in short yardage because like Amos Zeroe was really bad in short yardage. But the thing about Amos Zeroe is he was really bad in every yardage, right? <laughs> Amos Zeroe was not a bad short yardage back. He was a bad running back. Right. LeGarrette Blunt was a good running back who is just uniquely awful in short yardage situations. And he just kept getting the opportunities because he looks like a short yardage back. He's so big, but he runs like, you know, like he runs like Brian Westbrook. He runs like a cutter. Like this is not the guy you want to be giving these short yardage carries to. And so every year for a while, when he was in the league, I'd use pro football reference and I'd generate a list of all of the carries on third or fourth down with one yard to go, one or two yards to go. And I'd calculate first down rate. And LeGarrette Blunt always had like the most first downs under expectation. Um, so yeah, I, I love stat head for stuff like that. If you want to get like super, super specific. Um, yeah. If you just for some reason have an insane grudge against LeGarrette Blunt. <laughs> football reference is your jam. But I was thinking it's like the old Leroy Ford quote that said, coach, if you need uh, one yard, I'll get you three. And if you need five, I'll get you three, you know? No, Blunt is like the opposite. If you need right. five yards, he's going to get you 82. Right. And if you need one yard, he's going to get you negative three. <laughs> yeah. But you're talking about carries, carries being weighted differently. James Conner should be weighted differently than Chase Edmonds. Conner's exactly. getting six carries and people who are just looking at the carries go, he's getting six carries. Um, Chase Edmonds getting... 15 therefore Edmonds should be weighted should be worth a lot more than Connor but of Connor's six carries four of them are happening inside the 10-yard line and two of them inside the five right and he's punching in it off those opportunities just like he did in Pittsburgh yep and so I think history is kind to those kind of guys but they're the ones that you never want to put in your fancy lineup you always like have misgivings you're like and I can't believe it's come to this that I'm having to insert player X into my fancy lineup. You know what I'm saying? And you have to wonder too how sustainable it is because over a long enough timeline, I found that players tend to score 
one touchdown for every 100 to 200 yards. And there's meaningful variation. You know, Julio Jones scores fewer touchdowns per yard than Calvin Ridley. And that, that difference is persistent across seasons and across samples. But while there's variations within the range, the range is pretty set. It's, it's about a hundred to on the high end, on the Julio Jones end, it's about 220. Um, and so you get a guy like Connor, maybe he's averaging a touchdown for every 50 yards um, because of his role history says, and again, this is a team heuristics thing. I don't know if he's going to be getting more carries outside that zone, fewer carries in that zone, but life finds a way people tend to regress to one touchdown for every 100 to 220 yards. That sounds right. Yeah, it seems reasonable. And some, some they're specialists, right? You bring them in, mm-hmm. they, they run the one yard, plow it in. Aaron Jones. Yeah, there's, you know, that they're third down backs. They're specialists. Adam, thank But even you. still, it still winds up working out because, you know, yeah. the third down backs occasionally break one. And I, yeah. I don't know, it's, I don't, I don't know how or why it happens, but life finds a way oh man we thank you for joining us and uh have you on here and uh later on this season it's been kind of a drama filled season like it is every year hadn't it been for you or to you it's just all it's all uh uh you know heuristically uh yeah, hey, I don't it, know. it all finds a way i don't know anymore or less than usual it's football football's good i like yeah. football yeah i just meant though this just seems crazy. I don't know if it's, you know, every year with more and more media coverage, we see more and more stuff, you know, more and more red herrings or, you know, anything else. I don't know. I think we just kind of forget. I mean, uh, looking back at some of the past seasons, we kind of forget how crazy some of those were. I hear you. Well, thanks for joining us, Adam. Sure. Thank you. Have a good one. Happy to be here. You too. Bye. Welcome to the Fantasy Football Predictive Analytics with Reese Tiefertiller.